All right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to a particularly angry episode of the Bizzlecast. I haven't been on for quite a while. It's been a, almost a month, at least a few weeks. Uh, but I watched Doctor Strange tonight with my dad on opening night, Thursday, November 3rd, 2016, on previews night. We always see the Marvel movies and, for the most part, the, you know, the Star Wars movies and so forth on opening night, if we can, in the RPX Theater of uh, King of Prussia, uh, Pennsylvania. RPX is basically... Uh, like getting the sound and visual quality of an IMAX movie, but without the ridiculously gigantic screen, which you can't possibly see everything on. So I went into this without super high expectations whatsoever, as you know if you've listened to the Bizzlecast. And to be honest with you, my expected B rating um, of the movie is pretty much on point. It does get a B plus in one area, which I'll talk about briefly, um, but mostly is a B minus. Uh, territory um, with Doctor Strange. Uh, this is really a movie that does not fit in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they have to stick. Uh, well, I'll save that for the spoiler section. They have to pull a particularly marvel move to make this connect uh, with, with the other movies, the same way with Ant-Man, to a lesser extent, the Inhumans on TV and maybe on film in the future. Uh, but this really felt, uh, both aesthetically, thematically, and plot and character-wise, completely out of place despite their attempts in the movie and in the post-credits sequence. So I'm going to do a couple quick minutes of non-spoiler review, and then I'm going to do a few quick minutes with some spoilery stuff, because I predicted pretty much everything that happened there in the movie, before the movie, or immediately when like a tiny hint was presented, predicted it. I predicted the post-credits sequence, I, I predicted where Doctor Strange uh, was going to be in the MCU going forward and where we would see him. Uh, and I promise you people, honestly, the reason I haven't been doing the Bizzlecast for the last few weeks is because I've been watching lots of other stuff online, including politics and tabletop, which I've been pushing, with, uh, hosted by Will Wheaton on the Geek and Sundry Network, you know, uh, sort of like celebrity poker, but uh, with bo- board games that are way more interesting and, uh, you know, writing. I've actually been developing a game of my own. I'm working on two books. I'm trying to figure out the future of the Bizzlecast. It's not actually been anything related to the MCU. I avoided all the Doctor Strange trailers after the initial one, all the TV spots. I didn't listen to any MCU Marvel podcast leading up to this, which is the first in the last like couple of years since I've been doing the podcast. I feel like I'm neglecting my duty otherwise. But the bottom line was I was so uninterested by the look and feel and concept behind Doctor Strange, even with the great cast on paper, that I was like, the best way for me to enjoy this is to just not watch or read anything. And that has turned out to be exactly the case. But I still didn't love it. So I'm going to start with the positives here. And I will put on the spoiler warning when we get there. But this is going to be my general you know, overview impressions of Doctor Strange from Marvel Studios. So I'm going to start with the positive. And the positive is the humor. It was really funny. And I guess part of me knew that when you're talking about the Eye of Agi, uh, of Agamotto and Dormammu and all these ridiculous names and things you got to do with your hands, you know, that, that I guess it would have to be funny. 
I didn't think they had it in them. I don't know much about the director Scott Derrickson. I know people liked him uh, beforehand, and he did he did a, a decent job. Uh, but the humor was so great. I mean, the best was definitely between uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange and Rachel McAdams, who played his sort of colleague in the hospital before he, his hands got deformed in the car accident, and he you know was, was searching in Tibet for a way to to heal his hands, and he found a way to save the world instead but his rapport with Rachel McAdams was great mostly because of Rachel McAdams um, I'm actually not a giant uh, Benedict Cumberbatch fan I have not watched Sherlock but I've seen him in a bunch of movies I've seen him as Khan in Star Trek I've seen him in a very unmemorable turn in uh, 12 Years a Slave. I know he's not as prominent as Michael Fassbender but Michael Fassbender in terms of an evil white guy is way more memorable um, and you know, and I n- know him in, in terms of, of, uh, the imitation game, which is a really subpar movie, although I liked his performance in that, but I also like Keira Knightley's performance in that. So, you know, I, I, I think he is a really, really, really good mainstream can handle Paul B material actor, but his New York accent, you could already tell from the trailers is horrible. He tried to do all sorts of things with his voice to mask the fact that it was horrible. I've talked about this ad nauseum, and I haven't even released my Gladiator commentary, a bunch or a bunch of other commentaries where I talk about Australian actors like Russell Crowe and why Australian actors and New Zealand actors and even South African actors and so forth can handle the American accent, and English people just cannot. He was trying so hard to go, you know, uh, uh, not just North American, but New York, because New York's an important part of the Marvel Universe in comics and on screen and in this movie. And he, just sounded terrible. So, you know, he was trying to hide behind that the whole time. Rachel McAdams just humanizes every single situation she's in. Um, you know, I, I, honestly, when I saw Rachel McAdams in The Wedding Crashers about, oh, I don't know, 10, 11 years ago, and she was so adorable and so beautiful, but so funny at the same time and so engaging, you feel like this is a one-hit wonder. This actress will never do it. Nope. She got nominated for movies like Spotlight and, you know, critically acclaimed romantic dramas that I haven't seen, like The Notebook that yeah, I know is considered like one of the great romantic dramas of all time. Uh, mean Girls. I mean, she is so talented. She can do anything and everything. And she was basically uh, a, a conglomeration of Claire Temple, uh, played by Rosaria Dawson on, on Daredevil, who's a nurse. Rachel McAdams is actually a doctor in this movie, although the way they portray her, you think she's a nurse, but she's really a doctor. So she's somewhere between Claire Temple, played by Rosaria Dawson, and Jane Foster, played by uh, um, Natalie Portman. Now, in the first Thor movie, Jane Foster is extremely critical in terms of finding Thor, in terms of figuring you know out what he's about and finding his secret and figuring out the whole situation and shield and you know aliens from another planet and you know myths from an ancient time in Scandinavia. She puts it all together. In the second movie, they try and make her really sciency and engage, but Natalie just feels like a damsel in distress. You know right from the beginning that Rachel McAdams other than being a good ER doctor, is basically a damsel in distress who's been abused and treated poorly by Benedict Cumberbatch as Stephen Strange, which is exactly what you'd expect, and she does a great job with that. You know, they try and make a joke about the fact that he tries to share his secret with her about the, you know, the mysticism and the magic, and, you know, and, and she just humanizes the whole thing the way that Rosario does with Daredevil. Um, 
And as I've talked about, you know, in all sorts of podcasts from with my dad or with my, with Maddie G or my Jessica Jones commentaries, it's just that, you know, there's a real down-to-earth humanity that actresses like Rosario Dawson and in Doctor Strange we see with Rachel McAdams, uh, you know, real humanity that, that, that grounds these movies that otherwise are completely absurd and you have no connection with the characters, so... Okay, so the really good was the humor. Um, Benedict Wong, I was hoping was going to be tons of humor. I mean, it's humorous just that he's playing a historically, uh, in terms of the comics, racist character named Wong, but his name is Benedict Wong. So you don't really know where it's going, and they don't really pull out the comedic chops with him until the end. They're sort of setting him up as a funny sidekick for the future. This did nothing to dispel the you know accusations of racism or whitewashing when you see Tilda Swinton, who was great and very charismatic, and is just a perfect. Uh, I mean, actress. I mean, she just is is flawless. I mean, you give her a look or a line, and, and she just nails the whole thing. Buy her as the ancient one. I personally didn't care that she wasn't Tibetan. They had lots of Asians there. You know, I like the idea that, you know, you don't have to be of, you know, Tibetan blood to be a great Tibetan monk. I mean, I had a uh, professor in college, Jan Willis, who's from the Deep South, who against all odds, in poverty among African Americans in the Deep South, Jan Willis ended up getting to Cornell University, involved with the Black Panther movement at Cornell University. And she was so smart and she was so angry, but she wasn't being satisfied by her political engagements. And so what did she do? She fucking left for Tibet. (laughs) And she lived in Nepal, uh, the Nepalese mountains for like 10 years, literally studying with a Tibetan professor and just meditating every day for like 14 hours a day. I don't know if she achieved enlightenment. She never bragged about it, which makes me think maybe she did achieve some form of enlightenment because if you you achieve it, you're not going to brag about it. And not only are you not going to brag about it, you're seeing like you're not not bragging about it. But she uh, explained Buddhism and the psychology behind it in such an amazing way. So, if, you know, and if African American lady from I don't know Louisiana or or Alabama, or Arkansas, wherever she was from, I think so, it was Alabama um, or Mississippi, um, you know, can get to that place. I I don't know why when you combine like dark energy powers, I won't go into that too much with uh, with Telesquare why you couldn't get to that point. So the white the quote unquote whitewashing actually bothered me the least. What really bothered me was that the two sidekicks, Benedict Wong, and then she would tell Angie for as Baron Moreau, who, minor spoiler alert, if you know anything about Doctor Strange, you know that Baron Moreau is a former friend and current adversary of Doctor Strange. So you knew that was coming. They set it up for the beginning. They didn't even try and hide it. They really didn't give a lot of emotional range to Chiwetel. And yet my father, Papa Bizzle, shout out, as in every, you know, Bizzle cast, who I saw it with, turns to me like two-thirds through the movie, and even though Chiwetel is playing in a very kind of, you know, a little bit of a box in terms of his emotions and his performance, because that's what it calls for. It goes, man, I'm really enjoying Chiwetel more than Benedict Cumberbatch. And, you know, we agreed that Batch had some great comedic moments with with all the characters, but dramatically, it just wasn't that compelling. Um, I think he's better as a bad guy. Uh, I haven't seen, uh, you know, or not just a bad guy, just like a disturbed individual. 
they tried to make him into the quippy one. It was almost like they were trying to make him into the like the magic-y version of Robert Downey Jr. Okay, so we're talking about magic. So here we go. So the good stuff was the humor was really good. The character interactions, it seemed like people were always talking to green screens and not to one another. This did not have the weeded-esque or even Russo-esque or gun-esque feel of like real dialogue and interactions between the characters. That's fine. There was so much CGI in this thing. And so I guess the, the good slash bad middle ground here is sort of the action and the aesthetic and the CGI. Now, what they did do well was when shit was going totally crazy and the camera was moving all over the place, they pulled the Firefly stunt, which Joss Whedon, you know, perfected, and you see in Battlestar and a lot of other movies now, which is the best way to make something seem real is to shake the camera around and do, like, quick zooms that look like a human operator is behind the camera. Whoops, there goes my PlayStation there. I had to install an update. You'd think in late 2016 with a PlayStation 3, there would be no updates left. They don't even make it games for the system anymore. The only reason I keep it is because I love replaying Call of Duty and Mass Effect all the time. And mostly use it to play YouTube, HBO, and, uh, you know, and Netflix and so forth. Um, but anyways. So, you know, there there was tons of special effect and you know, you know the question is always how you do magic. And I haven't gone on mic talking about this because I get laughed down whenever I bring it up. You know, and people who claim not to care about box office numbers go, Oh, Warcraft only made like forty nine million dollars in the United States. Like it must be absolutely terrible, blah 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 blah. Well, I'll tell you, the magic system in Warcraft, while it didn't always look amazing, I suppose, never looked completely CGI, and it, 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 was, it was restrained and limited within the system. And this is what people don't understand. I think it, this is why it was set up for me to dislike Doctor Strange from the beginning. Because when people find out I'm a fantasy person, they think, oh, you must love magic, like Harry Potter. And it's like, no, I don't. I don't like that. I like the Gandalf model from Lord of the Rings, where magic exists, and a handful of people can control it, but it's extremely hard to wield, and it's a little nebulous and ambiguous and, you know, um, obscure in terms of how it's manifested and, and how you use it and how much energy goes into it. It's, it's not easy to wield magic. And while it can be extremely powerful, you have to save it for certain moments. And my favorite, you know, fantasy series, especially, uh, I mean, after Tolkien, Raymond T. Feist, you did the Rift War, and many series after that, is that you have powerful wizards, but there's only a few of them. And it's extremely taxing on them to, 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 to manifest magic. In this movie, there was no sense of, like, it was all about learning knowledge. It was like, well, once I read this book and can read this language, then I can manifest this level of magic. It's like, no. It has to take a certain amount of energy from you. And this isn't just about, you know, like, role-playing games. Like, that just makes sense. You expend mana or whatever you want to call it or life force. And you should get tired. He never got tired. He was never tired the whole time. He was only limited by... It's like Iron Man. You know, it's like the Iron Man suit. People are comparing this to the first Iron Man movie. And I think it's an apt comparison. But from my perspective, that just shows the weakness of this movie. Because I happen to think the first Iron Man movie is extremely problematic. And not that rewatchable. 
I, I hate origin stories. I'm really fucking sick of it. All I can think of was Iron Man and Batman Begins and Ant-Man the entire fucking time this was going on. That's why I love the first Thor movie. That's why I love, um, uh, you know, the Avengers movies is you just jump into the actions. That's why I love fucking Jessica Jones, you know, even among the Defenders, but compared to any of the Marvel properties, because there's no traditional origin story in Jessica Jones. You hear about her past and she's immediately jumping into it because the human interactions and the dialogue and the character stuff that comes out, that is what's interesting to me. I don't care about plot points. I don't need to know how it went from A to B to C to D to E to F to G to get the origin story done. And they had to cover it over with humor and all sorts of crazy special effects which, by the way, weren't that crazy and came essentially in three types during the movie. There's the glowy, glowy, you know, orangey, yellow, you know, typical, you know, magic wand stuff where you create circles and glyphs and runes and so forth and that makes stuff. So that's one. Then there's the out-of-body stuff where you're in, like, different dimensions and different realms while still in the main realm. And, you know, you, you you can separate from your body and blah, blah, blah. And then there's the insanely, I guess there's four types. And then there's the Inception stuff, which we saw in the trailer and which was equally not that impressive or interesting in the movie, which is just giant, skid, you know, cityscapes changing. Why they couldn't do it in rural or jungle areas or wilderness areas or on the moon or in a different planet would have been way more interesting. You know, this the uh, I couldn't help thinking of Stardust, the amazing uh, book. Uh, that they turned into a movie uh, by Neil Gaiman, uh, with Charlie Cox and Claire Danes and the main characters, and you got Mark Strong and you got uh, Michelle Pfeiffer uh, and, and other great support characters. But Claire Danes plays a fairy princess from the stars, and, and Charlie Cox in a Harry Potterish kind of universe. Uh, and uh, but it turns out that you know when he jo- when he crosses the wall into this fantasy realm that, you know, there are these, like, nine brothers, and they're all trying to kill each other, essentially, to become the king. And and as soon as one of the brothers kill them, they always act surprised, and you see the spirits separate from the body. And, you know, again, the uh, uh, the sort of familial, familiar, uh, you know, Marvel humor helped... Uh, it, so, kind of make some of this movie more tolerable. I was laughing a lot. I was definitely chuckling a lot, you know, and I'm a big fan of the chuckle. I mean, you know, Wheaton makes me, makes me laugh out loud. Um, and Gunn at times, uh, but but some of Gunn and the Russos, and in this movie, you have a lot of sort of external chuckles, as I call them, and, and I really enjoyed it, especially with him and Rachel McAdams, occasionally with him and his sidekicks, um, Tilda Swinton had a lot of great one-liners. Her body movement, her facial gestures, as always, were completely on point. You know, she drops him on Mount Everest and, and convinces him to study. And, and there's a lot of um, cultural appropriation of Asian culture, philosophy, religion, and mysticism, which I actually don't mind. None of it was particularly that um, uh, uh, insulting or... Um, you know, just just like 
you you would raise eyebrows at. It really, there was none. I'm really sensitive to this kind of stuff. And, and, but uh, the bigger problem was that there was no real philosophical depth to this entire thing. I mean, this felt like all three Matrix movies repackaged in a Marvel movie with a guy who could do magic. He was like the one. I mean, he, in every single way, he was like a Neo from the Matrix, you know, in the important ways. And... Uh, his ability to bend reality and other people surprised at how quickly he learns how to bend reality and the things he can do with it and his sort of, you know, moral hesitation at making certain choices with the power that he has um, and, you know, being a superhero and making fun of superheroes at the same time. Um, you know, uh, even... Okay, so here's where we enter spoiler section, people, because I can't bash the movie or talk about it with with particularly great authority without going into some spoilers. So this is officially the spoiler warning, if you are still here. And that is, in the very end, in a, a f- annoying but funny repeating scene where he's bending time to his will, which, by the way, has completely changed... The landscape, uh, even beyond Thor and Iron Man and the Hulk of the Marvel Universe, if he can create endless time loops to get what he wants, uh, which is what happens at the end of this movie to, 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 uh, Forrest or Mamu, you know, the evil dark energy, you know, force who's even way stronger than Thanos. I mean, now, now we literally have a guy who operates between the multiverse who's worse and more powerful than Thanos. So why, even though I haven't cared about Thanos at all and expressed my disdain and disgust and disappointment with the Thanos portrayal so far, I care even less about him now because between Doctor Strange and Dormammu, you know, they're so far beyond what's going on. And spoiler alert, here's the official one. As soon as he picked up the Eye of Agamotto, which I only know because of fucking Paul Herman um, at Marvel News and Modern Myth Media and his Star Wars podcast. Shout out to you, Paul. I doubt you're hearing this, but if you do, thank you. But as soon as I saw the color of green and the way it was being manifested, and then he talks about it being a, a weapon of time... Uh, with the eye of Agamotto, I'm going, oh my god, this is the great Infinity Stone. I turned to my dad literally like 15 minutes in when this happens. I said, that's an Infinity Stone. It's the time gem. And, of course, they wait the entire movie to announce it, and then they have to shove it in your face by having Benedict Wong say it, which is fine, because people are still having trouble figuring out why they should care about six Infinity Gems of different colors of the rainbow. But... Um, the bottom line was, you know, there's a lot of glyphs and runes and stuff, and you've got the green of the time manipulation, everything else is kind of a yellowish orange, and then at the very end, things go totally crazy as he uses the time loop to, to, you know, basically, uh, force, uh, almost physically forced Dormammu, you know, the evil lord of the, the dark energy between the universes that can promise eternal life and blah, 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 force him to make a compromise uh, for the moment, you know, in not trying to destroy Earth or, Earth or so forth. And they repeat the scene over and over again like Groundhog Day, which is actually quite funny, in which Cumberbatch plays very, very well. But... All of a sudden, we have every color from the rainbow and all the shades in between. We have another 
faceless, nameless. I mean, he's not faceless, nameless, but I don't remember his name, and he just looks like a white guy, evil villain, where they screw up their eyes, and so that's how, you know, they're the bad guys or whatever um, in this movie. I, I can't even comment on him, you know. I mean, it's it's less memorable than Corey Stull from Ant-Man. You can make your... Uh, you know, you can make your judgment based on that, but it it was just like super trippy. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, they just relied on really trippy shit. And I almost turned to my dad there in the movie. I'm sure he's listening to this. Hope he doesn't judge me too much. And I'm going, you know, I I wouldn't do this in this age and day and age of my life, but there was a time when I really, really, really would have liked to see this movie. Uh, taking some mushrooms, um, which actually is is uh, talked about by Doctor Strange when he's trying to er, early on when he's trying to figure out what's going on with the magic and stuff. He 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 says it's psilocybin, which is mushrooms or or LSD. I've never done LSD. I can only imagine, um, you know, maybe a little medical marijuana. Either would make it look cool, but any movie where you have to rely on uh, drugs or even just the idea of taking drugs to fully enjoy it is already revealing its weaknesses. And the broken mirror stuff, and the you know, it, it really was aesthetically. It was like you take the best of the Matrix, the best of Inception, aesthetically, visually, throw that onto a Marvel property, add a little bit of Harry Potter. Um, and just sort of Chinese mysticism elements and, you know, kind of go from there. And honestly, the Warcraft, to go back to with the Warcraft magic with Ben Foster as, uh, God, oh fuck, what's his name? Um, I'd say I'm learning, uh, I would, I'm losing, um, I would say I'm losing a nerd cred here, but I don't even know how many nerds saw Warcraft. Me and my dad actually enjoyed the movie. Uh, Medivh, I think his name is, Ben Foster. Uh, at least there was some logic to it. You know, They're drawing from a very dense, thick, uh, and well-thought-out um, Warcraft universe. Here, there's no sense whatsoever this even more than the Inhumans, feels totally out of place with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so, you know, it's not my usual criticism, which is usually based on character and narrative and dialogue. I actually thought all of that was done relatively well. But every time they started bending the entire universe in really dramatic and, you know, nauseating ways, watching the screen when it's clearly CGI. I mean, the CGI Doctor Strange of this movie, you know, people talk about Civil War, you know, Spider-Man being CGI, Black Panther being CGI. This movie, you're constantly going, where does Benedict Cumberbatch do any action acting whatsoever? Um it's almost reaching satirical level. And I'm going to tease that the Bizzle is moving into a little bit more of a satirical phase, even though I love this stuff. But I have to mock it. And I will tell you people, and I'm going to close with this, because I don't want it to be too long, and I'm going to have on, I think, Maddie G uh, when he sees it in a couple days, and maybe Gabriel, and we'll see, maybe Papa Bizzle come on, but... I will tease that, you know, the first preview 
while the lights were still on, was of Rogue One, and the sound was terrible, and people were talking, and I got more chills on the Rogue One trailer than at any minute of Doctor Strange. And I think that just proves that even though I grew up loving both Star Wars and Marvel, that Star Wars is more eternal that the one year, one movie a year model is really the thing that makes the most sense. You, you may be introducing new characters and new stories, but it's all within the same kind of physics. And I, I don't just mean like scientific physics, but sort of the physics of character, the physics of, of narrative, the physics of storytelling. The, I guess mechanics is really the word I'm searching for here. There's certain mechanics of storytelling that George Lucas, with the original trilogy, nailed, really failed in a lot of levels with the prequels, but still applied the same approach overall, in which J.J. Abrams definitely, definitely brought to Episode Seven, which Rogue One really seems is the case. As you know, I'm way back on the Rogue One bandwagon. It's just a visceral thing for me. It just feels good. I don't know. I can't explain it. I don't know if it's going to be like objectively good, but I can already tell I'm going to I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. I, I wasn't that curious about Doctor Strange after the initial trailers, and I remain not that curious, and you know, glad to have seen it once, but um. You know, I I just don't think the Marvel movies... I, th- I think they're spread too thin, honestly. I think there's too many movies. I don't think two a year is necessarily bad. And then you had an X-Men movie, like Logan, next year. is going to be great, I think. The rated R final Wolverine movie with Patrick Stewart. and looks like an amazing young female actress. So you got two, you know, Disney Marvel movies, one Fox one. I, I think that is totally um, uh, an okay... Uh, amount you know uh but you're trying to make them so different in concept and character but use the same formula for the origin story over and over again Mads Mikkelsen, they're using the same actors over, I mean, Mads Mikkelsen's in this, and Mads Mikkelsen is in Star Wars Rogue One, and then you've got Forrest Whitaker in Rogue One, and now Forrest Whitaker's gonna be in Black Panther, and like, that's all good, but, you know, eventually, you have to find new ways to structure your movie. You need a non-traditional act structures. What I loved about a movie like The Accountant, what I loved about a movie like Hell or High Water with Ben Foster, Chris Pine, and Jeff Bridges was that there was really no acts. It was just a play. It was a giant play on screen with no particular act breaks that just kept going. It was absolutely brilliant. Hunt for the Wilder People, which had both a million acts and zero at the same time. You know, another movie that just kept going. And, you know, as I'm watching here and I'm watching the Avengers, you know, people, oh man, what a great picture of the Avengers. This is, uh, sorry, I'm watching a a highlight reel in the background of of Doctor Strange, of, of fan stuff, and you know, Whedon and to a lesser extent Russo, the Russos and Gunn, 
seem to understand that the novelty of the characters and their powers and abilities and, and origins really are like 20% of what's important. And 80% of what's important is making them fun and funny and engaging. And I think that's being lost. I don't blame the actors. I do think Benedict Cumberbatch, a Benedict Cumberbatch is a super overrated actor from everything I've seen. Again, not seeing Sherlock, but seeing most of everything else he's been in. Um, and you know, uh, he's not Robert Downey Jr. And so the comparisons with Iron Man one are ridiculous. Uh, but you know, I, I don't know what to say. I would never recommend someone to not see a Marvel movie because they're never worse than a B minus. I mean, the worst Marvel, I haven't seen Iron Man two in a while. People seem to hate it, but with Robert Downey Jr. I, I, I don't know if I would give it less than a B minus. Thor The Dark World really flirts with the C or a C plus. I mean, that movie, when they go away from Hemsworth and Hiddleston as Thor and Loki, uh, stumbles to almost a um, disconcerting degree. Uh, but you still have those two guys, and so I, I wouldn't tell anyone not to see it. I guess my final thought would just be that I'm sick of origin stories. I don't need new characters. You know, like, give me a Scarlet Witch movie. You know, like, people are like, oh, Elizabeth Olsen can't handle it. Why not? How do you know? You know, she's 26 fucking years old. She's never been given the opportunity. And by the way, now that we know that I haven't done enough spoiler in talking, that the, the Eye of Agamotto is the green gem, the time gem. Uh, we've got five out of six. I think the orange uh, gem, which I'm not sure what it's called, is going to be with the Black Panther because it's the Black Panther and he's had Infinity Stones before it also because it happens directly before Avengers 3 when they're fighting Thanos and so I think the Black Panther is going to have the last one so we know the Eye of Akaboto courtesy of Benedict Wong explaining it to Doctor Strange he's an idiot he's smart um is uh is an infinity stone i'm still not convinced by Thanos i think it's going to be really cartoonish i i, I am predicting right now people the following, all right? And I'm going to end you with this. I'm not going to end you. I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't want to end you. I'm going to end this with this. I am first going to predict that the next four Marvel movies, starting with Guardians of the Galaxy in May, which already looks hilarious, Spider-Man, which you know if you're a Bizzle guy listener that I do not love Spider-Man at all, but Taba Holland was great, and you added Marissa Tomei and Robert Duddy Jr., I think, and uh, really a great supporting cast um, in, in the Spider-Man movie. I won't run through all the actors. You can IMDb it. And then Thor uh, is my, actually, my pick for the best Marvel movie of three next year because, A, you know, as great as Hemsworth and Hilston are, they haven't quite had the mix of brilliant director and brilliant script at the same time. And with Taika Waititi coming in from Hunt for the Wilder People, where all the actors love and respect him, and we know that we're getting Planet Hulk version of Bruce Banner as the Hulk, and they're going to go Planet Jumpeg. And now we know that, you know, with the post credit scene, which I predicted to my father, you can ask Papa Bizzle online or through me, I predicted to him that Thor and Doctor Strange were going to have a relationship. I had no evidence for this other than seeing the movies. And what do you know? Two minutes into the credits, you have a really funny and, and cute and endearing scene between Thor and Doctor Strange. 
where Doctor Strange is interviewing him as to the threat level of the Asgardians, and Thor just wants to get drunk. Um, I think Thor, you know, when you add Ruffalo to the Hiddleston, Hemsworth, Taika Waititi as director Bex, is going to be really spectacular. And I feel even more confident that Black Panther is going to be on another level because trust me, Ryan Coogler, the director and all the actors of that movie have now added Forrest Whitaker so you got Forrest Whitaker Michael B. Jordan, Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther uh, um, and Lupita Nyong'o and uh, Coogler directing and a lot of other great African African American characters Andy Serkis as a bad guy I think Martin Freeman is going to show up with that as maybe a good guy maybe a bad guy um, and uh, you know just the political and social and personal and philosophical overtones of the Black Panther and just how cool it is, I think, is going to be on a whole new level. So I think they're basically building towards Black Panther. Black Panther is going to set ridiculous expectations. And here it is. I think the Avengers movies, three and four, either both of them or one of them, is going to be significantly disappointing. It has nothing to do with the Russos. It has everything to do with all the constraints they're working under to bring in all these characters. I mean, people are talking about the Defenders joining that movie jessica jones and luke cage and daredevil blah 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 they should stay far away from that we have enough characters already there's too much going on there's gonna be a major backlash it, it, i think it's gonna be like you know the saturday night like you know the week before graduation where you drink so much and it's you think it's the best night of your life and then the next morning when you're just puking your guts out and you're like oh my god that was the worst night of my life i think we're gonna get a little puking our guts out at some point with the marvel movies I'm going to finish by saying I'm really excited for Rogue One. If Rogue One fails, though, I, I won't be that upset because it will just solidify um, my theory that when you combine endless franchises with formulaic PG-13 scenarios, it's just never going to live up to it. And if Rogue One can't do it, and if Black Panther can't do it, then no one can. So this is the Bizzle signing out on Bizzlecast some number, <laughs> talking about Doctor Strange. I would still say see it, and if you can get a decent price in the theater, you for sure should. I think it's not going to hold up well at all on home video and TV and stuff. Uh, could be wrong. Maybe it'll look less cheesy on the smaller screen. So, um, See Doctor Strange for no other reason than to see the Rogue One trailer, which I'm watching in the background. I can't wait. I love Star Wars. There's something very pure about Star Wars I cannot wait for. So this is the Bizzle. Also check out my vlog, which I'm trying to get going. I don't love watching myself on the on the screen uh, with videos, but there is something kind of uh, kind of pure and 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 rapid <laughs> process of of doing a quick video and posting it. So don't worry, I'm sticking mostly to podcasts, but. I will say that not only do I have two books coming out, one fiction, one nonfiction related to the Bizzlecast, but I'm also working on a game, a board game, a physical game that has to do with nerd and geek stuff. More info on that coming soon. Love you all out there. Thank you for listening. And the Bizzle is out.